Hey, everybody, and welcome to another MyJS story. This week, we're talking to Justin Meyer. Justin was on episode 202 of JavaScript Jabber. Talked about DunJS and CanJS. Does that sound about right, Justin? That sounds exactly right. All right. Um, do you want to give us just a brief introduction uh, since we haven't had you on for about a year? Yeah, so I, my, the way I would like to introduce myself is that I'm probably the most successful person in JavaScript with the least popular open source projects. <laughs> and that's what I would like. In some ways, that's like, that, that's the backstory that I'd like to talk about. When you, you asked for like things to shout out about, uh, I definitely want to talk about that because I saw recently uh, Substack was talking about how, how you know, he's worked so hard and done such amazing, I mean, he's done amazing uh -huh. stuff, but had, you know, so little like income to show for it. Right. I feel like, if there's one thing that I could maybe teach people how to how to uh, not be super successful in popularity, but to like be able to make a, a good living doing open source work. So my background is I built JavaScript MVC about like nine, ten years ago, kind of one of the early JavaScript frameworks. Uh -huh. um, and since then, I've just been working on that. Uh, it's kind of spawned, uh, broken up into a few different projects, CanJS. Uh, Steel.js and now uh, Dun.js, which is kind of like the super project. So I've been around. I was kind of involved with the jQuery community, did things like added event delegation to it, and you know, been to a sponsored a bunch of early JS comps and things like that, and just do a lot of job. We do JavaScript consulting basically. Right. Uh, I, I work with Bitovi. I'm CEO of Bitovi. We do JavaScript consulting. Awesome. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Comp. Newbie Remote Comp is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. So um, the listeners know the drill. I don't know if you've listened to any of these. Anyway, I have a number of questions that I'm going to ask, and we'll just discuss those. I'll probably ask more probing questions as we get into it. But, but let's start out at the very beginning. How did you get into programming? So I was given, I feel like I've seen other people give similar answers to this. Just, I, I was given a TI-82, like maybe seventh grade. And I remember getting it and it, it allowed you to like pick your instructions. There was like a drop down menu somehow you could select and you could do like an if and then an else and then just, just random methods you could call. And I just, re I remember being very excited about that and just hitting like, buttons to try to get the thing to do something. I had no idea how to program at all. And then I feel like I talked to a teacher or something. They gave me a book on how to program that. And then I started making video games kind of things with, with the with calculator games. And then eventually, you know, I, I got like a C book and started making, I, I, and QBasic I started doing and making games. <laughs> I was really into making games. I think a lot of people, especially in like middle school and high school, that, that's that's what I was doing, and then you know went to school for it. Yeah, that makes sense. Mine was a TI eighty three. So okay, you so must maybe I'm a little old. bit older. Yeah, yeah. 
about to turn 35, so that's at that age. Oh, me. I'm old. Okay. Yeah, I'm 37. <laughs> so anyway, maybe I got a little. I got it like seventh grade, so maybe that's why. Yeah, I got mine around the same age. Anyway, so that that's really interesting. So yeah, you get into that. Um, it, it's really interesting too. How many people I've talked to who you know for whatever reason were interested in building games, and so yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting. Uh, avenue in. So how do you go from, from that to, you know, building Dun.js and Can.js and doing all this JS work? Yeah. So I, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of an odd story. My, my path was, uh, I went to school for computer science. I worked in a parallel programming research lab all through college. By the way, if anybody is in college, uh, for computer science or whatever, one of the best decisions I ever made was, you can reach out to your professors and say, hey, do any of you have kind of internships or lab positions where you're just doing grunt work, like you're working on their, their lab's web, uh, website to begin with? I worked in a parallel programming research lab. That's what they had me doing at first, so just working on their website, writing up documentation for how to use their uh, parallel programming framework, if, if you will. It's kind of like a framework called Charm++. Did that for four years, got a lot of experience, and then by the end, I was helping I was doing still grunt work, but it was much, uh, I guess it was, it was, uh, better than making websites. Uh, we were doing protein folding simulation and I was working for a, a PhD in chemistry and a PhD in, um, computer science. And I was basically just there to help make the application run program run as fast as possible. So I got a lot of experience with, um, like network performance, things like that, mm -hmm. which is great. I mean, best best decision I ever made was just getting involved with the lab, working for next next to nothing. But you know, school teaches you a decent amount, but that was actual work. And and then with that experience, I got a I got a job doing at Accenture, a big consulting company. Yeah, um, they're, they're huge. Research. Yeah, in the research and development group. And I made this big touch screen that people might still see at O'Hare. Uh, there's one at JFK as well. Um, basically because I had skill with, you know, high-performance networking and things like that, used touch to triangulate, or used two cameras to triangulate where you were touching on the screen mm -hmm. to simulate touch. And this was, again, like 10 years ago before anybody was doing touch. It was a really awesome project to be part of. And the, the person who... I worked for uh, Kelly Dembski is just like mad genius. Just just wrote literally wrote the book on like high performance visualizations and things like that. I think that was the name of his book. I, I don't remember it anymore. So, but while I was at Accenture, I realized that Accenture would always brag about that they wrote more code than like IBM and Microsoft and um, Apple combined or something like that. Right. And it was always, it always, it drove me crazy because they never did anything with that code. Like everybody kind of worked in their individual departments. Um, there was no sharing of code. You know, open source wasn't as much of a thing as it is now. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if they've since adopted that kind of stuff. I, my guess would be no. Um, and I always just saw it as super inefficient the way that a lot of consulting companies were structured around. Uh, the sale, if you know what I mean? Yep. Like, uh, instead of the engineering side. So a, 
buddy of mine from college who also was, he was interning at the time in the same group that, that I was working for. We, we started with trying to build something like FileMaker Pro. We just wanted to build something that builds something because uh-huh. we wanted to reduce waste, if you will, uh, that all these, all these apps are being built at Accenture, um, these applications. They're huge, but we, we wanted to just build, you know, be able to do mom and pop stuff real quick, turn that over. So we started building that totally wasn't successful, but at the same time, <laughs> we had to build all of this JavaScript, you know, tooling. Right. And, and this was 10 years ago when there was nothing like jQuery wasn't mm-hmm. out. I think prototype was, I think that was it. That and scriptaculous dojo a little bit too. So we, we started building all of this tooling and then there's just this, this, crazy fortunate series of events that like and weird series of events that all happened at the same time, which is like, you know, we weren't making any money. I had like $120 in my bank account. My now wife, then girlfriend was like paying for everything for me, like going to friends weddings. She was, she was paying for it. And then T-Mobile called and was like, Hey, we really like your stuff. We're building this uh, big application with it. Uh, JavaScript MVC. And we're, we would love to, you know, you and Brian, my business partner, to be be part of it. And I was I was at the at actually at the Ajaxian conference, like maybe the first one. Ajaxian. I've never even heard of it. Oh, remember the Ajaxian blog? Uh-uh. Oh man. Okay, so I'm really old in JavaScript world. So <laughs> back back ten years ago, back ten years ago, there was like one place to get credible great JavaScripts. Um, information, uh-huh. right now, now JS Jabber has, of course, uh, has become that 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 great thing and the great work that you're doing. But back, but back then, Dion Elmer, who went to do like head Walmart's labs, I think is now at Google. Ray Bango, who's like mm-hmm. Microsoft's head evangelist, and there's a, a few other people too. Ran this blog called Ajaxian, and it was. You know, it was amazing. That's where all of the best news was. They had, probably had like a, one or two articles a day. And they had, they put on a, a conference like 10 years ago. They eventually got bought out. That's why it doesn't exist anymore. Some, right. you know, conference promotion thing bought them. And then all they all left to go do other amazing things. Um, but they had the Ajaxian conference. I had actually shaped. And this is why a lot of the old folks at... Uh, who do JavaScript, like remember me, like Alex Russell and stuff like that, because I shaved away my hair and leaving <laughs> JavaScript MVC in my in my head. Best best decision I ever made, because like Alex Russell invited me to dinner 10 years ago at this, and then I met Christian Hellman, or Hellman, I can never pronounce his name right, uh, a bunch of other Dojo and YUI people, that's where I met like Ray Bango, um, uh, met everybody that way. That's but that conference where I had like no money was like the last desperate, desperate gasp to try to get attention for the framework so we could start making a consulting company around it. Shaving <laughs> uh-huh. stuff in my head. That is when the, I, their team, T-Mobile called and was like, "Hey, we want you to do consulting work on this to build this this big application." And I was just like ecstatic, like just just going crazy. Um, so we, we ended up doing that project then, but was was really crazy is a month, maybe maybe it was only like two or three weeks later, I had a massive stroke. Oh wow. And if 
the timing was such that like if that had happened like like two weeks earlier before I had kind of made the first contract, I would have had to quit everything, mm. go back, go, go back to work, uh, for somebody else. And then oh, all of the stuff, all of the stuff that's happened since then w- would not have been able to, cause I wouldn't have been able I mean, thankfully I got insurance only because my wife now or now girl, now wife, then girlfriend was like, you have to get insurance. Uh-huh. And this is pre Obamacare and everything like that. So she made me get insurance like four months before I had my stroke. So that was also really lucky. And it was just like this crazy time in my life where like everything, everything happened. And then it's been boring since, but <laughs> it's, been, it's been kind of the same, same thing, just growing the business, that kind of thing since that point. But that's where, you know, we kind of turned, turned the corner right before I would have had to re- like really turn things around a different direction. That's interesting. By the way, Alex Russell is going to be the episode right before yours. So, oh, really? Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> but yeah, cool. that's that's just interesting. So yeah. So first of all, where where did the idea for JavaScript MVC actually come from? I mean, were were you using some other MVC framework somewhere, or? So we were using part of it. I think it was called JS Junction. It was uh, I can't remember the guy's name now. I think it started with like Max something i can't remember his name i feel really bad now he, he put out something that was just like like a like almost sammy js if anybody remembers that just kind of like routing to like kind of actions and controllers very ruby on rails esque uh-huh. um would just the url match something call some methods not much else to it so we 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 kind of forked that and added um on model layer kind of like Ruby on Rails, because I think everybody was using Ruby on Rails back then um, and really heavily inspired by it. So we added something like a model layer that hits RESTful service layer. And we also added, I I think the the big thing that we added at the time why it was so appealing to people is we added event delegation, Uh really, really solid event delegation. So you didn't have to bind on every click, you know, you just listen to click once on the on the document, and you can have it when it matches CSS selectors. You can have your event handler called, and don't have to worry about binding, which mm-hmm. helps with memory safety and things like that. So that's we 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 built all this stuff because we were building that FileMaker Pro, and it had like drag drop, right. and it's a lot of rich features, which just it, it couldn't have been built as a normal website with just you know, like the Ruby on Rails way of partials mm-hmm. or whatever they called it, where you send back, you get back HTML and stick it in. It had to be built as a single page web application. Right. So I got got into that heavy too with Peter Spenson, old Dojo contributor. He uh, he started the Thin Server Architecture Working Group, which I was a part <laughs> of. And this is like when we we were rebels 10 years ago saying, you know, just, just send back empty HTML, let the client build everything. Right. People are like, you're crazy. You're, you're, you're out of your mind. But now, now, I mean, almost everything, at least everything we build works that way. There's service side rendering, of course, you don't have the performance issues, but, um, you know, that's, I think, I, I think we were, I think we were, we were, we were onto something. That JavaScript was gonna was gonna be a, a a good bet. Yeah, just a few years early, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember when Steve Jobs killed Flash. 
I remember <laughs> where I was. Like, like people know when where they were when Kennedy got shot or something. Like, I right. knew I was in San Francisco at MindJet's offices, and they're like, "Did you see the 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 news? Like that Flash will never be on the iPhone." And I was like, "Yep. Now, now there's only there's only one. Yeah, there's only JavaScript." Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, and, and I mean, it took a few years for uh, Flash to go all the way through its death throes. But yeah, I mean, even Adobe, who kind of championed Flash, you know, they had all the Flash tools and Flex and all that stuff. I mean, they they moved pretty quickly into HTML5 and all of the other yeah. features that were coming through that CSS uh, animations and stuff like that. Yeah, in some ways, like you feel bad for Flash because it was such a great platform. Right. But it, it just lacked the openness yeah. that the web offered. And it's just like that. There's no stopping that, I think. And the long road. Yep. That's just going to win out. Absolutely. So you start doing JavaScript MVC. Um, you, you kind of uh, come into your own. When, when does Bitovi come into this? So you. So right, right away. Uh -huh. I mean, Bitovi, like the second. T-Mobile called us and was like, "We we want to we want to work with you." It was like, "Oh, okay. gotta 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 form a gotta form an LLC, gotta uh, gotta, e, gotta get an EIN number." Uh, so we 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 started as Jupiter back then because we weren't uh -huh. creative and had no good names. Um, <laughs> I always hated the name, but it was like you need a legal company, and it was like we could get Jupiter IT. Dot com because mm -hmm. I was still kind of coming from the Accenture, you know, right. very corporate mindset. So um, we, we were that for a few years. And then eventually we, we came up with the name Bitovi and we've liked that much, uh, much better and had that since like maybe five, mm -hmm. six years now. Right. So then you started building things like CanJS and DunJS. I don't know if I completely got straight the story on that so it sounds like it was tied to javascript mvc yeah so what happened was javascript mvc was out there and javascript mvc had like a lot and this is javascript mvc was out a little bit before backbone uh -huh. and javascript mvc had like what people would you know like webpack in it basically had a module uh -huh. loader had a testing framework something like karma in right. it um, a documentation engine, and then have the all the M MVVM or at that point MVC parts. Right. And we, you know, it was just it was dying because you know backbone and, and it was just so much. If you're now now everybody uses all of those things. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> back back then, no, no, you you weren't going to. Um, it was. And even now, I think it's still like people like to pick and choose their individual parts and create a framework. I think that's part of what developers respond to is that form of creativity and deliberation around how they how they build things. But so JavaScript MVC was just this huge, unwieldy thing. And so we broke it up uh -huh. into into all the individual oh, parts. Okay. So CanJS is just the was the MVC parts of um, JavaScript MVC, but then it became MVVM. Okay. And that's kind of its own little project. It can be used with uh -huh. everything else. And then Steel.js is the module loader. Um, and that 
came out of that. And that, of course, that can be used with every anything else. And then testy, which is the karma-like thing, right. came out, can be used everything else. And basically, we, we put we took every piece out and tried to make it so it can work with, you know, everything else. Gotcha. Um, and then, and then we, we were like that for a few years and then we put DunJS kind of back together, but we kept the ability for these things to work independently. But DunJS is mostly just like your, you know, glue pieces that glue them all together and make certain, uh-huh. certain patterns easier when you're using the, the whole game. Okay, like that makes sense. Like that. Yeah. And is is most of the development done by people at Batovi or is it has it kind of grown into its own open source community at this point? So the heavy I would say the heavy lifting is still done by people at Batovi, but we have like contributors that are not at Batovi, like uh, with you know actual access rights and things like that. Uh-huh. But the because Batovi has full-time people and pays for full-time people to work on it. The, the majority of the heavy lifting is, is definitely at the Toby. Gotcha. So I'm, I'm curious then, cause it sounds like you're running the company. Mm-hmm. So how much time do you get to code these days? <laughs> uh, n- never enough, but it's, it's I'm really <laughs> fortunate to have, um, Brian, he, he handles a lot of the consulting side of things. I'm, I'm still involved there, but I, I, I'm mostly focused on like long-term strategic development for Batovi, and then which heavily includes the open source part of things. Uh-huh. Um, the way that I look at what, what we do is we don't have a sales team. Our marketing is our open source. So we, we put everything into that and then hope, hope that people will use these tools and then we can work with companies to, to you know, help them deliver a product. But at the same time, then we're, we're making our, our product better. We're releasing open source. Hopefully it attracts more people. And then the just cycle should just keep going. Right. It means that I think we take a very different approach than other open source tools. Like that, that's what... Popularity is important to us, obviously, but it is, we care a lot about long-term cost of ownership, right? Uh If you pick JavaScript MVC eight years ago, we want people still to be able to um, be able to like upgrade through to the latest greatest. And that requires a whole lot of work and means we're a little bit like half step behind what's the coolest thing out there. But we, we kind of don't give up on adding those new ideas. They land. And that's in some ways the good thing about open source. It's very easy to steal other people's ideas right? because their ideas are open. (laughs) (laughs) You just got to include the, 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 the reference. Yep. That makes sense. So we, we've kind of gone into the next couple of questions. I did ask you how you got into JavaScript. And we went there. And then the next question is, what have you done in JavaScript? And we've, we've definitely covered that. So now I'm curious. So what are you working on now? Like, what is the direction of Bitovi and all of these different pieces of what, you know, kind of come together for a JavaScript framework? So the coolest effort we're working on right now, the most interesting, is what is it going to, what does HTTP2 provide? 
how does that change best practices? And we've got this crazy idea uh, about how to do streaming, server-side rendering streaming Uh that that we're working on. I'll do my best if if this is the kind of thing that you want to hear about to try to describe it. But um, we're looking at the possibility of we're going to, when the user requests a page, we're going to push out the JavaScript assets. We're also going to push out basically an empty skeleton of the page, but we're going to kick off server-side rendering. And then we're going to push instructions on how to mutate the page to the client. And then the client, we've actually made this work, can, when it loads, basically do a very quick fetch for that stream of instructions. And then before the JavaScript, the full JavaScript payload is loaded and executed, it can basically be getting a stream of DOM mutations and building the page up for the client. And we've done some testing, and it's really, really good for slow internet connections and slow browsers. So for mobile, it should give about as optimal performance as I think you can get. Mm-hmm. I don't know if what I said makes sense because it <laughs> it's a really weird way of making things work, but uh, I think it should. I, I mean, my hope would be this is how, if you want high performance, like this is the approach that people are taking. And only because we have streaming APIs with fetch and HTTP2 push can this sort of thing be accomplished. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, I mean, just the number of ways that HTTP2 can be taken advantage of, and then you have things like progressive web apps, which you've, mm-hmm. you've kind of nibbled around the edges of a little bit, but yeah, just all of these different uh, things that are available for you to, yeah, to to enhance the experience of using the web. And, yeah. It really changes how, like, best practice, one thing that we've realized while we're doing this is how do CDNs Mm-hmm. fit in with HTTP2 push. And we, we, we haven't really started exploring that yet. That's like a problem that is in the back of our mind because with HTTP2 push, like you still always are going to go to the application server, mm-hmm. presumably, and that needs, that can start push sending, it can start sending out JavaScript, but you don't really want it to start sending out JavaScript. You want it to send out JavaScript from a CDN. Right. So we haven't really figured out how to make that work or like experiment with, is it worth it always going to the application server or do you always go to CDN and that is really just like a channel to your application server? We, I mean, I'm sure someone else has figured this stuff out, but that's what we're, that's what we're experimenting with now is what, how does HTTP2 change things and fetch. So the other thing we're we're doing is we're making uh, new lines eliminated JSON helpers. Mm -hmm. So Jake Archibald, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce his last name, but uh, the Google, uh-huh. uh, he works at Google. He, he has a great series of articles about how like fetch enables streaming and like ideas. And we've kind of taken those and started actually building tooling around that so that things like as your database is returning one record after another, you can like, instead of waiting for all of that to come back, serializing it to JSON and then sending it to the client, we could take each individual record, serialize it to one JSON row and uh-huh. then send that to the client and the client can like get that one can get that one stream of JSON and then put that add that one LI or table row to the page right. so the user sees it like all coming in instead of just like glob like big chunks. Yeah. 
That's interesting. Yeah, that's that's cool. It's cool stuff. I mean, it's just there's this we're there's gonna be there's like this second renaissance or something uh-huh. of, of JavaScript when these like service workers and fetch and things like that add all of this low level power and possibilities. It's gonna be this time where people can be really creative with solutions. We're gonna see kind of an explosion of ideas, I think, again. It'll be fun to see what comes out of it. Yeah, definitely. So is there anything else you're working on that's not one of these things that we've already talked about? I mean, it's it's interesting to find out, oh, somebody's got this weird project for this interesting niche that they just fiddle around with. So I'm working on a a, a generic parser, I guess, uh-huh. just to, uh, I'm trying to make a very fast parser where you can give it a nice expression tree and it will parse anything pretty pretty easy. It's not, it's not able to do a lot of um, contextual parsing, but for simple things, it's it's easy to express. It's kind of like, a, what is it, Bison? There's another thing out there that does it, or Jison, which which does it. It's it's modeled after that, but th- that it it compiles to the code that com- parses your code, which is really great uh-huh. if you know about your language ahead of time and want to go through these steps of compiling, but we don't really have that uh, ability. So ours is all kind of runtime, like the you provide the expression and it generates the parser kind of all in runtime. It doesn't like write out, spit out code that is the parser. Right. Um, doing that, one thing that I think that we do that, that we're doing that maybe other JavaScript libraries and frameworks could learn from, and maybe other people who are writing application code, is we're doing the whole everything is an independent GitHub repository and package mm-hmm. thing, where, you know, like Lodash and all that, they maintain it in kind of one repository, and they, they do publish multiple packages. But we what we're really trying to do is we're really taking the whole longevity thing to heart and we're trying to make it so that we don't we don't really know what the future is going to be but mm-hmm. we want to make it so that any code that you load isn't going to like you're not going to have to rewrite that just because a new version of our framework comes out. So right. as long as you can get the same package numbers um everything should be able to work. So we we basically split up canjs into like like 60 different different repos mm-hmm. and each has kind of its own different kind of release schedule and, and versions. CanJS itself is, is designed to kind of give people a guide at like which are the ones that all work really, really well together. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is we're doing is we're we're really watching out for globals. So like in like um so we're making so templates, for instance, they they should always import their if they have custom event handling or something like that, mm-hmm. they should import their custom events. I don't know. We're, we're, we're trying really hard to make it so that any code that you write, some other code, because it loads a plugin or a mixin or things like that, isn't uh-huh. going to suddenly break what's going on over here. Or it can load a, a whole different new version. Um, I think everything, I think other things are going that way. I, I think decorators have really made that approach a lot more feasible for framework authors, is because then everything becomes a mixin on top of your your class definitions. Right. So we're, that's a lot what I'm thinking about. The, the unglamorous, uh, <laughs> completely unsexy world of 
making it so code uh, is like has a very low cost of long term ownership. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very very exciting. So not as there, exciting as the stream. Is is there a place where people can go and read about this stuff that you're working on or? Uh yeah, so Bitobi's blog has some articles about, and I'm about to release another one just about the um about the longevity stuff, like what we're trying to do to make it so that whatever directions CanJS and our stuff takes, that mm -hmm. your code should still work. Uh, kind of the five different things we're doing that that should be out like a maybe another couple like a week or so. Okay. Um, but that but all of the other kind of roadmap and like what we've done. That's that's out there. The only the streaming one, you have to go to Dungeons issues, and there's like this street search for streaming, and then you would see a uh, there's gifts and everything. There's one issue, kind of monster issue, that breaks the whole thing down mm -hmm. how it works. We actually did this at a uh, a hack night for University of Illinois. We had we, the the initial kind of work towards it was all done by a bunch of um, a bunch of students. From, from U of I, which we guided through it. There's a bunch of other, um, the guy who made ARGs or whatever for, that his name now, Ben something. Anyways, he, he, he was there. There's a few other notable um, JavaScript folks at these hack nights. Oh, nice. Which is cool. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and move over to the picks. Do you have some picks for us? Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. Um, yeah, so um, I saw a talk last night. Uh, Dean Radcliffe is working on uh, this Antares uh, framework. Uh -huh. It's basically a combination of Meteor.js and RxJS. The interesting thing about it to me was that, how do I say this? It, uh, oh, it was Redux too, but there was like, it had Redux on the server. So like all messages that the client or most messages that the client is producing, um, most events kind of, that were eventually being reduced, that was also happening on the server. And then he was able to somehow do a diff to know what data must have been changed in the persistence layer. Huh. And it was kind of a, a crazy idea to have the a server doing the same kind of reducer pattern, but then trying to sniff out and how there's renderers, but having the renderers change the persistence layer, that was really interesting. It kind of removed the need for models on the client. I don't know. It was, it was cool stuff. So uh, it'd be interesting to see where he takes that. I, I feel like it's just the beginning of an, uh, an idea. I think he'll have to, you know, build, build a little bit more before I, I think it's totally pro 
production ready because this was just like a demo at Charles from Chicago. Right. Um, but I think he's got some interesting ideas uh, that might come out of there. Very cool. I'm going to jump in here with a couple of picks. I've got a couple of games that I've been playing on my phone that I've really been enjoying. <laughs> and I, I'm always a little bit embarrassed to pick these, but you know, whatever. So the first one is Boom Beach. It's made by the same people who do Clash of Clans. And then the other one is actually Clash of Clans. And um, so Boom Beach, you kind of uh, wind up taking over islands um, and liberating them from the bad guys. And then Clash of Clans is you build a base and then you attack other people's bases. Um, you, you join a clan and you do clan wars. And it's, it's way fun. I really enjoy it. And I, I'm in a pretty good clan, so I'm pretty happy with, with the, the group of folks that I play with. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just a way to relax, kick back, and and enjoy it a little bit. And then, do, do you need to warn people about how addictive it is? Yeah, they Clash are. Clans? They they are a little bit addictive. So. I, I I can say that I I had to turn it off at some point. I, I had a huge clan. My I don't know how much time I sunk into that game. Uh, it is really addictive. It's very fun. Yep, it's it's a lot of fun. But yes, it is it is fairly addictive. But yeah. So those are two picks. And then another pick, and if if people have been following you for, for a while, I've, I have been fighting the CRM battle to find a good CRM, and I just hadn't been super happy with the ones that I had been able to find. I used Hi-Rise. I mean, it's okay depending on your use case, but for me, it just wasn't working. And then um, I went from Hi-Rise to 17 hats, which sucked. Um, and then I went to contactually, which was much better, but still didn't do everything I needed. And now I'm kind of using a hybrid of two tools. Uh, one of them is uh, bluetick.io, and I think I've met the, mentioned them on the show before, but they're strictly speaking uh, an email follow-up system. And so you just set up email sequences and that automatically follows up with people. Um, the other one is um, Nimble, and that's at nimble.com. And it's more of a fully-fledged uh, CRM system. Um, I, I would say that it's probably on par complicated as Salesforce, except um, it has like a Chrome plugin and a bunch of other things that I really, really like. And it's not impossible to use like Salesforce is. So um, anyway, if you're out there looking for a CRM, yes, it's a paid service, but definitely worth checking out nibble.com. So yeah, I'll, I'll throw all those out there. Um, and yeah, um, if people want to follow you on Twitter or see what you're doing on GitHub or things like that, we mentioned the Bitovi blog, but are there other places for people to see what you're up to? Yeah, uh, Justin B. Meyer at, or tw on Twitter. Awesome. That's pretty much it. Yeah, my, my GitHub is just too sporadic to actually follow me. Yeah. Just all over the place. All right, well, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks for coming and talking to us and sharing your story. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back next week with another JavaScript story. Thank you. Thank you. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.